0: chapter number 19, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, is where we are reading today, Matthew chapter number 19, so glad you are here this morning. Book of Matthew chapter 19, beginning verse number 1. What the Bible says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, and he went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed. Them there, Now some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? It said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, the one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? But Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning, I tell you. Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who chose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. If you're here and you're uh, newer to this church for the last three or four years, it seems like I've been slowly working my way through Matthew's Gospel, at least in the springtime and sometimes in the fall. And, and I'm going to pick this up for the next several months. And obviously we are in chapter 19, so for the next several weeks, a few months we'll be working our way through chapter 19 and 20 and so on so forth on down the road. But just to remind you, Let me refresh your memory on what the purpose of the writing of the book of Matthew is. Matthew's Gospel is designed to present Jesus as a new Moses. Indeed, as God incarnate, expanding His own law for His people. Now newly constituted around Jesus and under the leadership of the apostles. He's there to write to us and explain to us that the kingdom of heaven is here. And as a result of being in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, there are different rules that we now follow, different ways in which we live our lives. And that the Christian church is to function properly. The teaching of the Messiah on a host of moral and spiritual issues must be taken with utmost seriousness. To aid this purpose, Matthew takes the form of a theological textbook, a handbook for the church, so that he can instruct the people of God concerning the life and the teachings and the work of Jesus. And that's why oftentimes you'll read in Matthew's Gospel about the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the kingdom of heaven has come, and he's explaining to us how we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are in what theologians call an already and not yet state meaning that the kingdom of heaven is already here. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. The, the kingdom of heaven was inaugurated on this earth. And even at the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven was inaugurated to us. And now we have a different way to live. And yet the kingdom of heaven is a not yet a thing because it will be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming and we will realize fully what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But here we are as, as citizens of this kingdom. And as citizens of this kingdom, we need to learn to live and order our lives in the way that Jesus would have us live. And one of the areas in which the church must take seriously is in the area and the teachings of Jesus concerning marriage. Especially when it comes to the day and hour in which we live in. We see what seems like a full-scale assault against marriage in Western culture and Western society all throughout the Western hemisphere. We as a church must know what we believe when it comes to marriage, and we must be willing to stand upon those principles despite the cost, despite how much it goes against the grain, despite how much society and culture decides they want to live a different way. We as followers of Jesus take seriously the words of Scripture. We believe what the Bible teaches and we are committed to following it regardless of what culture says. And here in this section of Scripture, we find one of the clearest teachings of how we as believers should look at and believe about the institution of marriage. And and my purpose today is to remind this to you and to show this to you, yet also showing you and reminding you that the Gospel is a message of grace and forgiveness. and It doesn't matter what you have done, You can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. But yet as a church, we believe what Scripture teaches us concerning marriage. And so as we begin, let's first of all think about our first point this morning, which is this, God's original design for marriage. What is God's original design and intention concerning marriage? Think about what's going on here. Verse 19, we're told in in verse 1, that Jesus is getting popular. He leaves Galilee. He leaves where He was and goes to Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. And we're, and we're told there that large crowds, in verse number 2, are following Him. And, and Jesus begins to heal them and touch them. He's gaining mass notoriety as a teacher and as a healer. Thousands are coming and gathering around Him. We know, of course, it doesn't happen in this time, but when Jesus fed the 5,000, we know that the crowd at size is really fifteen to 20,000 people. There are thousands of people looking at Him and listening to what He is saying. And of course, as this is happening, this is making no little noise against the religious elite of the culture. Jesus is tearing down their little feet and the little empire that they have set up as religious leaders. Pharisees and Sadducees have their laws, they have their teachings, they have their guidelines that they can club people over the head with. And, And here comes this man who's teaching and preaching a different message altogether. And he's really messing them up. And so again and again, we find them trying to trip him trying to test him, trying to see if they could catch him in a false statement, in a false pretense, going against the Torah, the law of Moses. How can we get Jesus to say contradictory to this? And so here they are with a new test, a new challenge. They come to Jesus and they say, can we divorce our wife for any reason? Every reason we want to. Verse number three, some Pharisees came to him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And of course, how does Jesus answer in his wisdom, knowing the trap that they have set for him? Verse four, he says, Haven't you read? At the beginning of the Creator, or at the beginning, sorry, the Creator made them male and female. And they said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So these are no longer two, but they are one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Of course, in this statement, in these words, we see as clear a statement as can be given, It explains the original desire and plan of God when it comes to marriage and human sexuality. God created us male and female, man and woman. Genesis 1.27 tells us this. God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them. There's always been in the plan of God two sexes, two genders, two types of individuals in the human race, male and female. And of course, when it comes to our culture, our society today, that's not always a a popular thing to say. Individuals can identify however they want to and choose to be gender identified however they want to. It does not change what God's original design and God's original plan and God's original creation has been. And that is that a man and a woman joined together under the bond of holy marriage. And me saying that this morning, let me just say, does not make me a bigoted person. I'm not a hateful person. And if someone comes here in our church and maybe they identify as, as homosexual or whatever else like that, they will not be rejected or kicked out of our church. We will not tell them you are not welcome to come here and learn about Jesus. We will receive them and say that God loves you. and We do too as a church and we want the best for you. But yet at the same time, we want to be faithful to what the Bible teaches, what God has created what God has designed and ordered in His world. And it is amazing to me as, as I read and hear about all kinds of scientific advancements and experiments and, and all this stuff, how it's still only possible to create life through a female egg and a male sperm coming together and a male seed fertilizing this egg. And no matter how This egg gets fertilized and and grows and develops into a child, a baby. The fact of the matter is it still only comes through the normal sexual functions of men and women. Man is the only one that can produce sperm, that can fertilize an egg, and and a female is the only one who can uh, take that egg and and produce that egg and, and, and join together. With the male sperm to produce a baby. Why? Because in the beginning, God created us male and female. Man and woman. And He created us to live and enjoy sexuality in the confines of a marriage relationship. Verse 5 again says, For this reason the man will leave. father and mother be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Male and female joined together under the confines, under the restrictions of holy matrimony. Again, Jesus appealing to the very original part of creation. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, we read these words. The man said, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She will be called a woman for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. He's united to his wife. and They become one flesh. You see, as Christians, we have nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to human sexuality. I know some of you are raised in fundamental churches where speaking of it was taboo and and that was stuff that you don't mention or name or whatever. And and maybe some of you are, are, are a little bit uncomfortable right now. Probably not near as uncomfortable as I am. But the fact of the matter is God has created us male and female and He has created us to enjoy the blessings and the gift of sexuality. And it is a good thing that God has given to us. And we are not ashamed to mention that when man and woman are united together in marriage, God has given them something very good. He looked at Adam and Eve and He said, it is very good. I don't think He was just talking about the fact that Adam didn't have warts or pimples or all this stuff that we got on us. His created order was good. Writer of Hebrews said that in Hebrews 13 verse 4, he said, marriage should be honored by, by all and the marriage bed should be kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all. Sexual, immoral. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 3 to 4 tells us the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and, and the wife to the husband. The husband, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but he, she yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body but he yields it to his wife and what Paul is teaching us in this section of scripture he says look it's okay if you want to take a few times a few days or whatever it is and you say look uh, spouse I want to go away and I want to get together with God and I want to fast and pray and really seek God and make God a priority in my life but he says when you're done with that time of prayer, you need to go and join yourself again to your spouse. You need to renew your marital commitment to them, your conjugal relationship to them. You don't have power over your own self. Your spouse does. Why he says you need to join together so that Satan doesn't come in and tear you apart. See, the fact of the matter is God has given us Beautiful and precious gift in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He says these words May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of her youth. Loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. In fact, if you still don't believe me after these verses, read through the Song of Solomon and you read a book, eight chapters that is devoted to the beauty of human sexuality and marriage is Solomon and his wife, probably his first wife, not his 600th wife, I don't know. Probably at that time he's a little jaded, but he, they write of the beauty of their love for each other. God has given us a precious gift of marriage and sexuality, but again, this is to be enjoyed in the confines of a marriage relationship. And anything outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman goes against what God has given us and has joined together and has called and pronounced good. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says these words, Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Nor men who have sex with men. Three of those words, three different sins he lists deals with sexuality. Men having sex with men, adulterers, sexually immoral individuals, people who are having relationships outside of the bond of marriage. In verse 18 he goes on, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other other sins that a person commits are outside of our body. Whoever sins sexually sins against our very own body. Don't you know? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Saying that in sexually immoral practices, We dishonor God in a special way by dishonoring Him in our bodies. So, God's created us male and female. He's given us the gift of marriage. And notice that this marriage gift is to be for life. It's to be for life. Matthew 19, verse 6, they are no longer two. But they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together Let no one separate. God has created us to live together as husband and wife and has created us to live together in that relationship permanently. It's to be permanently. And the reason it's not permanent in so many of our homes and families across this world is because we have the wrong idea about marriage. We think that marriage is supposed to be about us, but I hate to tell you this, Marriage is not about you. It's about honoring and glorifying God through a husband and wife, sanctifying and making each other holy and purifying each other. I am not married so that I can be happy. I am married so that God can use my wife to make me a holy, sanctified person. The reality is, I've made her a lot closer to God than she's made me because I have a lot more warts and flaws to work on, don't I? See, the fact is, uh, we, we, we think, oh, they're not making me happy anymore. I want to get rid of them, but that's not the purpose. That's not the reason. The fact of the matter is, marriage is a reminder to us of God and His relationship that He has to us. We are called in the Bible the bride of Christ. We are called God's chosen loved one that He gave Himself for us. Ephesians 5.26 says that God has made us holy. He has cleansed us by washing with water through the Word. And in verse 29 He says, After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Why? Because he, we are His bride revelation 21 verse 2 i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband We are depicted and described as the bride of Christ, as someone that God loves. And as I mentioned at the end of our worship time, in our worship time, spoke of it. God does not have a temporal half-hearted, oh, I'm mad at you today, so I'm not going to love you. I'm going to get rid of you. God does not do that to us. God's love never fails. It's permanent. It's everlasting. So it must be with God. You and I in our marriage relationships. And so we see God's original plan for marriage. But secondly, we also see this sin. Sin has corrupted God's design. Sin's corrupted it. Jesus explains origins of God's designs. Marriage between man and woman for life. Notice the Pharisees aren't content with that, are they? After all, they want to trip him, they want to trap him, they want to catch Jesus in some kind of lie or false statement. Verse seven, they say, "Why well, then did Moses command to give a, the man is, to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away?" Verse what does Jesus reply in verse eight? It says Moses permits you to divorce your wife. Why? Because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness, the sinfulness of human hearts. What he's referring to there is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, which reads this If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce. He gives it to her and he sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house and she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, he gives it to her and he sends her from his house or if he dies, then her first husband a divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Okay, they come to Him and they say, look, why why did Moses say it's okay for, for a man to divorce his wife? And he points out the reason for this is because the hardness of heart, the sinfulness of man This was given to curb the hardness of heart that is the the resistance to God. The fall in Genesis chapter 3 explains man's hardness of heart toward God and towards each other. We become separated from God and eventually Adam and Eve become alienated from one another. Jesus points out before sin entered the world there was no need for this Protection against hardness of heart and divorce was not needed. And now with the dawn of a kingdom, paradise is to be restored back. Jesus is coming to make a new heaven and new earth. And therefore He explains to His disciples that there must be a new way to live. And that is to be committed within the confines of marriage for the lifetime. The only reason for separation is what in Greek is called porneia, which includes adultery, homosexuality, other immoral sexual practices. If this porneia, if this sexual infidelity and unfaithfulness occurs, the marriage bond is severed, the divorce does not cause the rift, but it witnesses to an existing rift that is there. The fact of the matter is, Divorce comes and occurs because of sin and the hardness of hearts. And I know some of you are here this morning and you've been through divorce, and I know it's been a painful and struggling thing for you, and you've talked to me and shared it with me. I'm not here to say that it's your fault or there's sin in your life, but if your spouse leaves you and finds someone else, obviously it's a result of their sin. They get aggravated at you for whatever reason. It's a result of their sin. And even in your life, maybe it was a result of your own sin and your own unfaithfulness to God. And since that time, you've you've come to realize your need for Christ the Savior and you've turned your life around and you've given your heart to God and God is healed and restored. And I'm so glad that God is able to do that. Whether it's one person or both parties, sin always destroys the original intent of God's creation. And that's why we need to hear the gospel message. Because we are all sinners. We all fall short. And Christ has come to remove the sin from our lives and make us new creation. And maybe you're here and you're not married or your marriage is fine or good, but you have not accepted Christ. There is sin in your life and sin is severing your relationships with other individuals in some way, shape, matter, or form. And you need the gospel to come and set you free and make you whole. I want you to know that God will do that for you. There is no restrictions. There is no limitation on what God will forgive. He will forgive the worst of sinners, those... Messed up sexually, those have taken the life of another human being, those have stuck their fist out against God and blasphemed and cursed Him. God will forgive you. And if you don't know that truth and it has not settled in your heart, I pray today. That you will grab the reality of that truth and you will accept the gospel message and you will understand that God's grace and forgiveness is for you. You can be that child of God we were singing about. You can be free at last. It's clear from this passage that sometimes divorce is necessary and allowed by Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're told in verse 15 that the unbeliever leaves. Let it be so the brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. What Paul is talking about there in 1 Corinthians seven is this if you are married to an unbelieving spouse, and that unbelieving spouse says, I hate you, I hate your God, I'm not going to live with you being a religious person, a Christian. I'm out of this, I want out of this, Paul says, Let him leave, you are free. You are not bound under your marital obligations and contracts. Some even go further and state in Exodus chapter twenty-one, verses ten and eleven. It says these words: If he marries another person, he must deprive the first one. He must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. Jesus is teaching us, or God is telling us through Moses, that if a husband does not provide for his wife. His spouse, his partner. She is free to go. She is free to leave. Exodus 21 verse 11 allows for divorce. When these requirements are not met, the principle of those still applies. Divorce is legitimate. When these requirements are not met. That is when one breaks the marriage covenant. Breaking the marriage covenant is the ground for divorce. It does not necessarily... Mean that divorce is necessary, but only that it is permissible. If a husband does not take care of his wife or does not provide for her, if they do not provide conjugal rights to each other, if there is abuse that goes on, such as physical abuse and mental abuse and anguish, these are breaking of the marriage covenant, a breaking of what God has created and designed. And sometimes divorce becomes a necessary option. The desertion or separation is still real because the sinful patterns abandon the one flesh union that is essential to the marriage covenant. And the fact of the matter is, when divorce happens, it is a result of sin that occurs in somebody's heart in life. It destroys God's good creation and God's good plan. God's good order. And we as believers should be those who buck, who kick against the trend. Who say that we are committed to faithful, loving, lifelong relationships that reflect the glory of God, not the fallenness of this sinful world. We have to be different. I've talked over the last year or so with someone who's... He's either received Christ or is very interested in receiving Christ. He's interested in coming to church and being a part of the church and praying that God is working on this individual's heart so that they'll commit faithfully to come and worship God and God will really change their life. One of the things that has drawn this person to God and to the church is getting to know a family here in our church watching that family and seeing something different in them. They've seen that family and they've said, you know what? I've never experienced that. It's always been abusive, fighting, hurtful, damaging relationships. How in the world is this family committed to each other? And the family's not perfect. Okay? Okay? None of you guys are, and you're wondering, is it me? Well, it might be because you're not perfect. (laughs) But don't worry, neither am I. They've seen something different. They've seen a commitment to work out differences in love, a commitment to be forgiven and ask for forgiveness. Listen, this is what the world is looking for, this is what society is looking for. I know they say they want individual expression and I want to do whatever I want and I want to be able to fulfill my desires and passions. But the truth is, God has made us with a hunger inside of our hearts to know God and to know His good and created order and anything less than living in the confines of God's good and created order will not satisfy a heart. Needs to know God. God's created us, man and woman, to enjoy and to love each other in marriage. Enjoy a relationship with each other. Does that mean that every day is bliss and a honeymoon? No, it doesn't. Do we struggle? Do we have our faults and failures? Yes, we do. Is marriage sometimes wrong? No, not really, but I am a lot of times (laughs) Just in case you want to tell her. But when we're wrong and we sin against each other, we don't push each other away. We come back. We say, I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. I'm not going to hold this bitterness against you. God has forgiven me and I want to forgive you and I want to model Christ to you. This is God's design and God's plan. So much more we could address that I haven't. It's a complex issue that deserves more than just a 45 minute sermon. So let me finish with my last point here. How do we handle how do we handle marriage today? Disciples heard Jesus say that you should stay committed and married to each other, and they looked at him in verse 10. They said, This is the situation. It's just better not even to bother. I not even bother getting married. How, how difficult is it for people to stay together for a lifetime? Jesus says, look, not everyone can accept this. fact of the matter is there are people who are eunuchs who are unable to marriage and have relationships because of birth. Something has happened to them. Sin has messed up their bodies and their... Incapable of enjoying a marriage relationship. Sometimes it happens as a result of man. A man may castrate, which was a common punishment back then. Something may happen to a man that would cause him unable to have children. Some people are just so devoted to God. That they, that they choose not to have a relationship, a marriage relationship. Paul talks about that again in First Corinthians when he says, look, if you're, if you're single and you're devoted to the cause of Christ, maybe you're serving God in a foreign country and you don't, you don't want your spouse to wake up one day and realize you've been martyred and beheaded by an extremist terrorist group. You know, You just don't marry. You just commit yourself and you go and you serve God fact of the matter is marriage with all of its demands remains a divine intention for those God has given it to so let me just say a few things here as we finish this morning and that is this if you're here and you're a young person you're single you're not married you need to keep yourself pure and holy before God don't ruin your lives with promiscuity Pornography or something else like that. So many young men and even young women are addicted. Pornography. Wait on God. Be de- devoted, diligent in your work, your relationship with God. Pursue God with all of your heart and serve Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't, don't ruin what God may have in the future for you. If you're here today and you're married to an unbeliever who's not with you this morning, you have a good relationship, keep yourself committed to that relationship. Keep it that way. Pray for them. Witness to them as you get the chance. Understand, though, there's a fine line sometimes between witnessing and nagging, so, you know, watch where you're going there christ to them be christ to them that's what peter talks about and he says look an unbelieving spouse is won by the faithfulness and love and diligence of a believing wife who devotes herself to him and to god if you're here and you're married to an unbeliever and the relationship is get bad if infidelity or unfaithfulness abuse is occurring please Don't allow yourself to remain in a place where you're being abused and hurt and betrayed. Come and talk to us as a church, as elders in the church. What can we do to help you? You need not to live in a place where abuse and destruction is happening. If you're here and you're married and your spouse is a believer, keep Keep and preserve and watch after that marriage. More than anything else, fight for it. Fight for it. Fight for each other. Lay aside those selfish ambitions that you have, and devote yourself to that person that you are married to. I joke around with Mary and I getting ready sometimes, and they say, "I'm sorry. You married a guy that was skinny and young and handsome. Now I'm fat and balding and gray haired. You still look like you're sixteen. She said, that's okay. I still love you most of the time. <laughs> we're not who we were when we got married twenty one years ago. It's still the greatest treasure of my life. Side of my salvation. And it needs to be something that I fight for each and every day and not to so, get so wrapped up in. And we see it all the time, even in ministry. I see men who, who build churches of 10 and 20,000 people and then all of a sudden they're, they're, far, they're, they're resigning this church. And why? Because they've been so devoted to the church and it's grown that they found themselves in a place of weakness and they wind up wrecking and ruining their marriage. Same thing with businessmen who make millions of dollars and yet they lose their spouse. If you're here and you've been married and divorced and you're single now, be devoted to Christ. Christ opens the door to find another Christian who is equally devoted to Christ. Walk slowly, carefully. Keep your commitment to Christ first and foremost. Don't allow loneliness or whatever else to keep you from serving Christ with all of your heart. And to pull you to someone who will draw you away from your relationship with Christ. If you're here and you've been divorced and remarried. Live in God's forgiveness. Okay, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Maybe you grew up in a church where it was called perpetual adultery or whatever. I don't believe that you're living in a state of permanent sin. Receive the freedom and forgiveness that Christ has offered. And I know sometimes you have to deal with ramifications that there's children or whatever else involved. Sometimes the road is difficult, more difficult than it would be for Mary and I. But understand Christ has set you free. He has made you free indeed. And don't let the enemy, as I've said already several times this morning, come in and tell you you are unworthy of what God has done for you. God has given you His forgiveness. Set you free. Receive that forgiveness today. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, here in a moment, we'll have our worship team ministers come. But um, if you're newer here, David Albany serves as a lay elder here in our church, and I'm grateful for him and his influence and his willingness to serve and labor here together. To see the kingdom of God build. I'm grateful for his impact and his faithfulness and commitment to his wife and his family, and I've asked him to just come and say a prayer for us in the church, families, marriages, relationships. And so, David, why don't you come and, however you feel led to pray, pray? And again, if you're here this morning and you're thinking that your marriage situation is less than ideal bring it to God pray for it if you're here today and you guys are wonderful in your marriage pray that God will protect you if you're here and you're widowed or divorced or single pray that God would keep you in his love and his care that God would watch over you See, as permanent as marriage should be, it is only a temporary lifetime thing. In the new heavens and new earth, we will not be married. It will be something far greater and more glorious. Pray that God will haste that day.